This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. On this episode of the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show, John Pike and I talk about the issue of clothes that are made in America, or more like made anywhere else but America. And then, of course, we talk about the horrors of Black Friday. We also talk about movies of 2017 that have been released before the final Christmas and Oscar push. We also talk about The Shape of Water. Then we close the show with a question. What do diesel punks and other retrocentrics want for Christmas? Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. that the lovely and talented Mrs. Fisk has left you alone for the weekend? (laughs) You know what that means, right? That she's insane? I'm not saying anything that people don't already know. She is a radiological um, medicine specialist, and and the company that she works for is the same company... um, that I used to work at. We met at, we met at work. We were working in different departments and every year she goes to RSNA, which is the world trade convention for radiological medicine. And she does this absolutely every year. She's done it for, I think the past 15 years. And, um, it's always chaotic because it's the day after thanksgiving that she leaves home and it is um what's the best way to sort of describe what it's like at my house (laughs) while she's gone it's sort of like um it's sort of like if you can imagine like fraternity brothers who are like really into like film noir and classic movies and and hard cider um and uh and woodworking because it's sort of like a no holds barred for like nerds weekend. The three three nerds and geeks are just it just it's just crazy go nuts. And the projects that we do <laughs> when she's gone are like we sort of wait all year for her to be gone so we can work on these projects. So that's hilarious. It really is. And the thing is, is that it's 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 nothing it, it's nothing R rated or anything like that. It's just. Nerds gone wild. Well, no, I get that. Uh, you know, when uh, when Mrs. Cool is out of the uh, out of the uh, office, as it were, uh, you know, I'm catching up on movies that I, I can't watch. Yes. When she's at home, because she doesn't like all of the same things I do. Yeah. That's that's true with every marriage, though. It's all. It's yeah. just a matter of extremes. Yeah, you know, she she really doesn't get into the diesel punk kung fu movies that I like. See, see, I, I understand her angst. I I understand why women don't like that stuff. I don't I don't, I don't know, but but it also means that I it's it's an entire week of me of catching a break without those Victorian period movies um, from BBC. Um, 
which are sort of like long drawn out period soap operas. <laughs> I, I, I like them only to an extent. I hear that. Yeah. I, I hear you. I, I tried to watch uh what is it? Uh, Downton Abbey. Yes. I just couldn't do it. Th- I, I couldn't do it. The thing is, I kept sh- expecting the doctor to show up in the TARDIS and straightens everybody's act out. Well, you know, I just I, everybody was raving about how great it was, and I, I went in thinking, okay, this is going to be like this gripping piece of dramatic art, and I, I think I gave it all of five minutes, and I was done. Yeah. It's one of those, it's an acquired taste, and you're either hooked into it right away, um, or you're not. And I think that the, what's surprising for me is that there's no Nazi death count at all. You can't count how many Nazis die within the first 15 minutes, because you need, like, I, I need some explosions, I need some, some Nazis being pushed over a cliff or something like that, or... You know, or thrown into like propeller blades or something. I I need something like that. So, <laughs> little Raiders of Lost Ark reference for you. So I'm. So anyway, I am going to get you to say something controversial um, about Black Friday right now. Um, controversial about Black Friday. Yeah. When I was a kid, and I, when I say kid, when I was in my you know late teens, mid through mid twenties, I, I used to kind of enjoy Black Friday. Yeah, there was, there was something kind of you know I don't know wild and adventurous about it. Yes. Today, I want to stay as far away from those crazy people as humanly possible. Yes. I drove. Look, here's my deal too. Let, let me just, this is what's going to be controversial. But I think most of our listeners will agree with this that Black Friday should not start until Friday. <laughs> none of this, none yeah. of this yeah. 6 p.m. Thursday night, Thanksgiving night crap. We drove by, Eric, we drove by Walmart yeah. on our way home from Thanksgiving dinner last night. And this was at about 6 20. So they had probably just opened their doors for Black Friday. And the parking lot looked like a sold-out rock concert. Yes. It was – there was not an empty parking spot in that entire lot. Yeah. And I just – what in the world does Walmart have that is so great that you would want – to go out into a sea of crazy people. I can't think of a thing. I can't. Here, here's my perspective from it. Um, because this is the first day that I've worked retail in, in a long time. It's been more than 24 years since I have worked a job um, uh, on Black Friday. All the other jobs I've had in 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 uh, in tech is uh, I've always had 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thanksgiving weekend off. I have not worked Black Friday in almost at least 24 years. And there are two kinds of people who are are out and about on Black Friday. There are the absolute, totally insane shoppers who really need to get a grip. They're seduced with the idea that there are great deals on Black Friday. And then there are other people, the desperate shoppers who, whatever it is, they have to go out and they have to get what they need. Perfect example is the hardware and feed store where I work. And these, some of these people who had to go out, they have to get feed for their animals or hardware for whatever it is that they're working on or truck parts or whatever. And they have to endure the craziness. Um, and there were more than a couple of people out there who middle-aged women who rolled out of bed, got on their bedroom slippers and just went to the store while still wearing their pajamas under their winter coat. Um, and you know what? You need a bra. You, you need to put on your basic underwear. You have to put on some decent. You have to put. You have to get dressed before you get out. I don't. I don't care how cute and sexy you are. I. I don't want to see you in your underwear <laughs> at the hardware and feed store where I'm working part time. So, uh, what else can I say about this besides? I. I think. I think that we've tipped. We've gone over the tipping point. Um, whereas Christmas has really become too commercialized. And I used to like, look at the people who used to say, oh, it's like, it's, it's commercialized. And it's like, this is like a pagan holiday with a Christian name on it. And he said, Hey, look, it's Christmas. It's fun. There's something about going out and buying something, something special for somebody that you love or care about or a good friend on a holiday like this. And, and that is, that is true. But it's, it, I think it's gone too far over the edge. And the thing is, is that it's like the media likes to give you a hard time. If you, if you haven't shopped uh, on Black Friday or if you, if you haven't spent enough at the retail stores. Have you ever noticed that? Well, yeah. And, and I'm a big supporter of Small Business Saturday. So, you know, tomorrow. Yes. Um, when, when all of the crazies have, you know, retreated back into their caves... I'll uh, I'll go visit some local mom and pop brick and mortar stores and you know support them. And that you know that's really where I am these days. I think that's that's really where it should be. I mean there's something sort of sort of Norman, Norman Rockwellian to go out and shop at those mom and pop stores. Um on the weekend when you I, I I still believe that Friday after Thanksgiving should be sacrosanct. You should only have to work unless you really absolutely totally have to like at the hospital or the doctor's office, the emergency room, police station. Um, and I, I don't mean to sound like I'm biting the hand that feeds me, but there's a realm to this that was it, it crossed into the realm of the ridiculous. And it was. It's it's almost um, apocalyptic, almost with the way that a lot of people were acting. Like, I mean, is this just Black Friday or is this the the beginning of the zombie apocalypse? 
Is this like a scene right out of Stephen King's The Mist? I mean, I'm talking about the motion picture. A little picture. bit of both. Yeah. Where everybody has to go to the grocery store and, and get the provisions before the monsters come back. There's a lot of that. Yep. I, yep. Another thing I wanted to pick your brain on before we get on to the, t- the other topics at, at hand is that um, I, I think that there's something going on with the realm of clothing shopping. And we mentioned this on the on the, uh, the Diesel Punk's Facebook page, and I mentioned this before. It's really hard to get decent clothing nowadays at the department stores that actually fit our demographic. Well, it is getting harder in the in yeah. Um, well, you you have to you ha- really have to go to those specialty stores anymore now. Uh, you know, there are a couple of stores that still do a decent job for those who, you know, want to want to dress well on a budget. You know, Target still does a decent job. Yes, but um, especially with their new yeah. line, they have a new line called Goodfella. I think it's called. And I've not seen it yet. My wife has bought me a couple of items, and the thing is, is that this stuff is the real deal. It's as close as you can get to diesel punk wear at the department store. It's called it's called Goodfellow, I believe. Um, and I will I will have to check that out. But uh, yeah, I mean, most department stores, you know, even even you know, Penny's and Macy's and Dillard's, you know, unless you're going in the high end you know, section for suits and ties. Yes. Um, everything is uber casual. Yes. And uh, jeans and t-shirts. Um, and, and you know, you might have a, you know, some some khakis and, uh, and button-down shirts to choose yeah. from. But, I mean, it's just this, I don't know. We sound like curmudgeons. You you understand that? Well, right? uh, well, I I I I I accept that though. I I accept the fact that I sound like a curmudgeon now. I I accept the <laughs> fact because the thing is that it was just like, here's the deal. I had this customer who is a a diehard Carhartt fan. Everything has to be Carhartt. And he came in and he and and um and he has a bit of he's 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 um. I think he's legally deaf and he has a speech impediment because of which. And he said, Carhartt, I need the Carhartts. Where's the Carhartt? And I showed him the Carhartt rack. And he says, no, no, I need the real Carhartt. And he showed me his his jacket that he got that he was wearing. And it had the uh, the fleece lining and the made in America label. And all the Carhartts that we had are made in everywhere except America. If we've in, if, if we invaded your country or we bombed your country or the CIA has had secret operations to overthrow your government in that country, you're now making clothes for us um, for Carhartt. And, and I was astounded because the thing is, is that the quality was definitely lacking. And apparently a lot of people are outraged that Carhartt has now. Um, outsourced their manufacturing to other parts of the world now, and they're, they're, only their very best stuff is made in the United States and all the other stuff. And this guy had said that this is the counterfeit Carhartt, 
and, and, and we should the police should come in and bust us up because we're selling counterfeit stuff. And one of the things is like, if you buy a shirt and here's a test to see if you're wearing something that's cheap, tuck in, tuck in your shirt and then raise your arms up, up above your head. And if your shirt untucks, that's a cheap shirt. And, and, and labels like LL beans, um, Used to be really high-end quality stuff. You could you could raise your arms above your head, and the shirt would not untuck. I dare you to do that now. You can't do it. You know that that has a lot to do too with with contemporary fashion. Yes, I, I don't get this shortcut shirts and jackets. I don't understand. They look. Either like they don't fit well because they don't when, when you're wearing a shirt that does not come down below your belt it's not long enough to tuck in right it does not fit yeah and there there are fools who are paying 30 60 90 dollars for a shirt that doesn't tuck in all the way i i don't know and and pants that come up only to halfway up your waist. I tried on a pair of pants and I, 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 <laughs> half my underwear was showing. And the, lo- the, low, the low rise waist. I, uh, they, wh- they sit on the hip bone instead of at the waist. Guys, your waist is at your belly button, not on your hips. And, and, and these, were, these were clothes for grown men. Our, our age group. It's crazy. Have we reached the age where we're just too old, where we don't appreciate modern fashion? Have we become our fathers? No, um, but we have taste and we have style. Yes. And, you know, we, we love those iconic images, you know, of Cary Grant and, uh, you know, Humphrey Bogart and Frank Sinatra and, you know, those men's men, you know, uh, Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, you know, we, we like the way they, they carry themselves. Uh, and, and, you know, the style that they exuded was just too cool for the room. And, you know, we, we've, we, We've kind of lost that. And, you know, the discussion online recently, Eric, about, you know, why isn't diesel punk as big as steampunk? And a lot of us have said, ah, now, wait a minute, guys. When you look around and you look at the predominant aesthetics of Hollywood and TV and music and advertising and architecture and, um, you know, the, the predominant style and aesthetic is right in line with with the diesel era yes and and uh you know so we we aspire to that and we we look for that and i still think there's uh, a pretty you know when, when people want to look professional and look their best and i'm talking about like if you look at 
let's let's take Jimmy Fallon, for example, the the Tonight Show. He wears suits that fit. Yes, he does. He does not wear the skinny jeans, the skinny leg suits, or the short jackets. He's wearing well tailored suits that fit. And you know, isn't it interesting? You know, we get a lot of flack, you and I, for yes. talking about, uh, you know, the the loss of style and the the slob culture of American uh, men in particular. Um, but isn't it isn't it funny that all of our top entertainers, and, and I'm talking about guys like Jimmy Fallon and and uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Our, our sports newscasters, every single one of them on ESPN is wearing a fine-cut, well-tailored suit and tie. The, the people that are the most popular, iconic, most-watched people in this nation dress really, really well. Yes, they do. Yeah, they do. So, so why is that not translating down to the masses? I think I think that there is a cultural um, lethargy that's going on. I because um, one of the conversations that I've had over and over again is that um, one of the reasons why so many people who are becoming diesel punks or they've been pushing their diesel punkness out into the open in the public and they're and they're just coming out of the woodwork is because there is a backlash. There's a lot of this. Um, a lot of us are just like rebelling against this aesthetic, whereas um, everybody has to look like they just left the gym. I mean, and I'm talking like gym class from high school, shorts, um, sneakers, T-shirt and a backwards cap. I think people are revolt. I think there's a revolution. There's a revolt going on. But but yet the stores have not caught up with the fact that, OK, it's done. The casual look is done, but they get to the other extreme. There are people who just don't seem to give a damn. Not only do they not give a damn with their appearance, they don't even give a damn with their work ethic, um, which I, I think that maybe that's a topic for another show because I can go on for that for about a half an hour or an hour because there just seems to be maybe it's just my region of the country or something like that. But it was just like there just seems to be this pervasive laziness that uh that that i have encountered in so many aspects of the business world people don't even want to show up on time people think that showing up at ten forty-five is somehow early um and i had a contractor who um fixed my floors a couple of years ago he said the same exact thing he's a one-man operation now because he can't trust anybody to to come in when they're supposed to come in yeah that's uh it's definitely a topic for another day. We could go on about that for for hours, probably. So speaking about a topic that we could go on for hours, one of the things that you wanted to talk about is the fact that you finally seen Blade Runner uh, at 2049. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, uh, I, I probably saw one of the last showings in the theater in Nashville uh, Wednesday, Tuesday night. Tuesday night, and it, it was at the the point, <clears throat> Eric, where you know the movie is getting ready to really leave the theater because every day 
they they only had one show. Yeah, and it was at a different time each day, so they were absolutely moving it around. And um, I, I saw it on uh, on Tuesday at four p.m. Um, left work early to to go do that. Used my movie pass. Yeah, which na- now I've seen four movies. Eric using movie pass. Yeah. And I've only paid nine ninety five for four movies. That's incredible. It's it's an unbelievable, unbelievable service. But I've talked enough about that over the last couple of episodes. If people want to check it out, yep. they're not a sponsor. We don't get paid. No. But moviepass.com, if you love movies, go check it out. But I went and saw Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I was the only person in the theater. Yeah. And I love that. I love the idea that I am seeing a screening just for me and me alone. So, you know, I I went into this movie, you know, and you know from previous episodes, this is not not a movie I was excited about. This is not a movie I felt needed to be made, Um, you know, based on the box office uh, uh, success or lack of success. Apparently, a lot of people felt the same. It just didn't really grab the audiences. Um, however, your your review uh, on our couple of weeks ago was was really positive and, and gave me hope. And you know, as the sequel to a movie that a lot of diesel punks look at as a diesel punk classic, although you know, this is just a side thought, and and. We, we can pick this up at another time, but this is sure. food for thought for, for us and for our listeners. You know, when we started this podcast six years ago, Blade Runner was considered one of the top tier diesel punk movies. Yes. And I think as diesel punk has evolved as a genre and a community, its standing has moved down the list. I, I don't want to say diminished, but it's not in the top top tier of picks anymore um and and i think there are a couple of reasons for that um but it does definitely fit the criteria right it's contemporary in origin it's got the visual aesthetics of the era all over it the original blade runner yes and um and you know it's it's definitely science fiction counter-cultural um the whole idea of, uh, you know, a police officer who is dedicated only to eliminating out-of-date or near-out-of-date replicants, you know, killing artificial life, for the most part, that's, that's you know, that's pretty countercultural. Um, and uh, so, anyway, you know, I felt like as a diesel punk classic i i needed to at least see the follow-up and i wanted to definitely see it on the big screen i knew that this was not a movie i was going to want to watch at home on on even my biggest tv Uh, you know i've got a 56 inch but even that you know is not going to compare to the experience and i'm really glad i did and let let me just say this um and then we can dive into deeper discussion. So far this year, the best movie that I've seen 
has been Thor Ragnarok. The best film yeah. that I've seen was Blade Runner 2049. It was beautiful. It was astounding. Yes. I thought in so many different ways that it was a far superior film to the original Blade Runner. Um, and, and there were a lot of different reasons for that. Now, I, I found it interesting, though, that a lot of my friends online who had gone and seen it came out of the theaters very confused or with a lot of questions. And, and you know, so I went into the, to the movie expecting that to be the experience. And I had just the opposite feeling. I felt like 2049 was very straightforward. Um, there was a there was a mystery to be solved, but to be quite honest with you, Eric, I, I saw this the mystery or the the answer a mile away. Yes, um, you know it did not surprise me or, or make my head hurt. I didn't go whoa wild. I was like, yeah, that makes complete sense. I saw that coming. Yeah. Um. Oh, by the way, so, are, are we going to talk spoilers? Um. Yes, I'm going to give one spoiler. Okay. Um. And and I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll make sure to warn warn you before I do that. But um, you know, I, overall it was a I thought a very straightforward movie, and um, visually, I've not seen anything as beautiful as that film in a long time. Um, the sound on this movie, I, I don't know if it was just the theater I was in. But the sound on this film was on a whole nother level. Yes, it was. It was especially at the theater where I saw it, whereas it was an incredibly 100% immersive experience. The only thing that was missing from Blade Runner uh, 2049 was the smell. You had all the other senses. They had the volume turned up just to the right volume where you could actually feel some of the things that were that, that were going on in the scene. Um, it, it was it was almost as if you were actually there in this dystopic future um, in 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 19. <laughs> I'm sorry, not in the 1940s um, uh, in the in the 2040s. Los Angeles slash Las Vegas. I don't know if I'm spoiling anything if I say anything about Las Vegas in this movie, but it's 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 pivotal and it's re it's really sort of it's very important that it, you see this movie the way that it was meant to be seen and heard. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it really does, and and I I really feel sorry for the people who are going to have to see it um, in their their home video theater because i don't think any home sound system is going to capture the sound design the way that the theater did and if this movie doesn't win an oscar for sound design at least there's something wrong with the the oscars i think that the oscars have been rigged for decades now well i tend to think they they are too but when it comes to the technical awards they tend to be pretty spot on yeah um so you know, if I were if I were a betting man, I would bet that this would win for best sound design and maybe best visual design. Yes, there 
Now, now here's I'm going to get to spoilers right now. So if you've not seen this movie, stop, fast forward, or you know, go watch it and then come back and listen. Or if you don't care, great, because what I'm going to spoil is not going to actually spoil the enjoyment of the movie. Um, so we talked about the aesthetics. Um, the aesthetics in this movie are, are very much more along that future sci-fi cyber tech aesthetic than the first one was um you still get pockets in la of you know i I would i would compare it more to present day contemporary culture than the retro futurism that the first movie had does that make sense it makes perfect sense i i didn't see a whole lot of that art deco jazz age styling like we did in the first blade runner until, spoiler alert, we get to Las Vegas. Yes. And Las Vegas was a, I mean, if you're a diesel punk aesthetic, that was a diesel punk dream come true. The, the Art Deco Hotel, the, 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 the great uh, lounges, you know, they had that 40s and 50 lounge styling, but the performers were holograms, which, you know, can you imagine being able to watch a full-blown Elvis Presley concert or Marilyn Monroe performance um, and not be able to tell that they weren't really there on stage? I think that that would be amazing. And we actually got a taste of that in this movie as well. That's that right. Was, that was That's the shocking right. thing. Yeah. Now, um, I did have a couple of quibbles for it, for this movie. It wasn't a perfect movie. Um, what, and, and this, I think it, it says something about modern films. I didn't know the names of the different characters. Yeah. You know, obviously I know Kay, the, the character played by Ryan Gosling. And by the way, he did a fantastic job in this movie. Yes. Um, this might be one of his best dramatic roles. But, um, you know, we, they call him K. Yeah. That's the first letter of his serial number because yeah. he's a replicant. It's obvious. Um, right off the bat, it's obvious he's a replicant hunting down other replicants. There's no yeah, ambiguity about that. that. Way. Which, which leads you to the question, that, you know, that, that is kind of hanging from the, the first Blade Runner movie. Was Deckard a replicate hunting other replicants? Because that's the setup here. Yes. Um, and I think that was the question we were left with at the end of Bl- the first Blade Runner, yes. right? Yes. And so at first blush, you would think that the setup, you know, with they, they didn't do a crawl, but they did, you know, some kind of, for those of you who came in late, kind of right. screenshots. Last time on Blade um, Runner. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it makes you suspect that because that is the status quo now, that it may have been the case then. Yeah. But you you were right on our last discussion about this where they don't really answer that question for sure. They, they kind of hint at it and they let you make up your own mind. Yes. Um, 
but they don't definitively answer it. Now, my, my, but my other problem was, although I knew who the other characters were and how they related to Kay, um, they, they never – modern filmmakers have gotten really bad about using character names. Yes, they have. Who was the character Joy? Was that the hologram? That, that was that was the hologram. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I ever heard them use her name. Really? Yeah. Okay. Maybe it, maybe it passed over me. Okay. But, but I, it, it did. I just didn't catch it. Um, and and you know, so you know that's a minor quibble. Uh, I I wanted there to be more. Not easily recognizable because they were all very recognizable characters, but I, I just wanted to know their names yes. a little bit more yes. clearly, I guess. Um, and then this is the big spoiler alert, and it shouldn't be a spoiler alert for anyone who has seen the previews. Obviously, Harrison Ford reprises his role as Deckard in this film. And the character of Rachel makes a return in some regard. I just got goosebumps again, remembering back. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the original Rachel. It's a new replicant that has been made to look just like Rachel. Yeah. Um, and they, man, did they do an amazing job with that. Yes, they did. Um, you know, the, it's it, they use the same face mapping technology that they used for Rogue One for Tarkin and Carrie Fisher, yeah. uh, Princess Leia. But this was, again, a whole new level. Because if I hadn't known that Sean Young was the age that she is now, I, I would have sworn that was really her. Yeah. And um, an amazing, amazing job. Um, and so the big plot point here, and this this is the real spoiler, is that we find out that Rachel had had a baby. Yep. Had had been become pregnant and had a child, and um, they don't say they, they don't reveal that like as the the truth until near the very end, but. You know, that's you're pretty sure that's what's going on throughout the whole movie. And Deckard is the father. Yes. And I, I thought that was a nice kind of nod nostalgically to the original film. But truthfully, Eric, th that those two characters did not even need to be a part of the story. I mean, it was kind of cool that, oh, hey, yeah, this this late model replicant, Rachel and, and Deckard who ran off ended up, you know, father becoming the parents to the first child born of a replicant yeah. or replicants. But truthfully, it could have been any replicants. Well, right? well, I, you know, this, here's, here's the point that I wanted to make and I wanted to re reiterate this. This Blade Runner movie is just too damn long. It's twice as long as it needed to be. And this could have been two separate movies. These could have been two separate standalone movies. Because there's a point in the middle of the movie where it could have, it really could have ended. 
with a sort of like to be continued and it or could just end and just stand on its own. And then the movie sort of starts over again, sort of in the middle. Um, when Harrison Ford appears in the movie and that could have been um, that could have been the third movie in, in, in a Blade Runner trilogy could have easily have been that. But I think that somebody realized that they looked back at the Matrix and the Matrix trilogy, and we all know the movies get progressively worse. So, would you say the the moment where K believes that he is, and this is a spoiler, that he is that child, could have been the ending of the of the first chapter? Easily could have. Okay. E- easily could have, and when he when you see him driving to Las Vegas. That could have been the end of one movie or the beginning of the third, easily. Um, and that's the aspect of film noir. If if you're familiar with film noir, then you realize that the ambiguity of it is is the entire point. Perfect example is The Big Sleep. Whereas, who killed Geiger? Who who killed Geiger? Now, if you watch the original cut of the movie where Bogart and Bacall are saying, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was Lauren Bacall's character's sister who wound up killing uh, Geiger. And the, and it's very obvious. They come right out and said, your sister killed Geiger, but she was high as a kite and they have doctors for her and they can fix her and they can make her well again. Um, but in the, uh, in the second cut, the theatrical cut, they rush through those lines. It's the edited is different, but it doesn't matter who killed Geiger. The fact is, is that Bogey survived the mystery and he found he solved the other mystery of what happened to Sean Reagan. Because that who killed Geiger was not nearly as important as what happened to Sean Reagan. Um, the same thing is true with Blade Runner uh, 2049. Whereas, okay, well, what happened? Well, what happened to Rachel and what happened to Deckard is far more important than who who is Willie Kay. It is, and 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 we're sort of like led down these sort of like these paths with these red herrings, and you think, oh, the movie's going to go this way. Well, no, it's it flips on you, and to an extent, the idea that he believed that he was something that he was not was the motivation for him to do things if he didn't if he never debated about whether or not Deckard was his 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 biological dad we wouldn't have had a movie but you're right it could have been if Harrison Ford didn't want to come back and do this you could have had another Blade Runner um and and who ran away with another replicant and have that be a big, huge problem. Oh, crap, we got our Blade Runners falling in love with some of the replicants that they're supposed to re- be retiring. This is the third time it happened. You could have easily have had that, but you didn't. A lot. I mean, Harrison Ford is still a huge draw to the movie theater. You want to see Harrison Ford in some of his famous roles. Han Solo, Rick Deckard. You want to see him again in, in an Indiana Jones movie without Shia LaBeouf or Shia LaBeouf, however you pronounce his name. I, I think that the movie works because it has Harrison Ford, because you want to see Harrison Ford. Well, y- yes. From an, but but what is it necessary for it to be those two characters? 
and, and I would submit that it's not. It's a nice nod right. to the original. It's a nice way to tie it to the original film. But at the end of the day, you know, Blade Runner is not about Deckard. The, the, the story is not about him. It's about the society and yes. yeah. the culture that has been created. I think that a lot of what the Blade Runner movies dabble about and what they dance around is very reflective of what's going on around in the world around us at the time. You know, when Blade Runner was released in the early 80s, it was it was a huge commentary on life during the early 80s. I mean, it had so much to say about the MTV generation, even just before the MTV generation was really sort of st- starting to take off and stand on its own with all the blatant commercialism and th- the striving to be perfect. Like all the characters in that mu- in the movie were beautiful people, except for like this one reject who couldn't go off world because he had a genetic disease and replicants were just these beautiful people who were built to do these horrible jobs, except for maybe Leon. I think Leon was a, a little bit of a toad, but that's besides the point. He was beautifully built for his task, whatever that task was. Pris was a beautiful, whatever it is that she was trained to do. I mean, even Rugger Howard's character, you know, and it was it, it, it really had a lot to do with sort of the superficiality of the 80s. It was a commentary on the superficiality of the 80s uh, in, when it was released in 1981 or the superficiality of the 70s, the late 70s. If you if you want to be um, exact when it was made and when it was produced and 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 all like that. And it really did sort of sort of attack the commercialism of that era. And now Blade Runner 2449, we're having to deal with these other issues, whereas, you know, playing with life is a huge issue now. And, and what responsibilities do we have towards the life that we created? I know that I said this in a previous podcast, but it, it's it's still it's still very true. What are we doing to the environment what are we doing with the life that we're creating? And are we going to be held responsible for the life that we're destroying that's already here? And those messages, just the way that they hit upon you, if you're paying attention to the movie, you're going to come away with a different feeling like, you know, maybe we shouldn't be creating people like this. Because the thing is... Well, you know, speaking of commentary, you know, the, the I, I think it was a warning against the development of AI. Yes. Um, and, and it's interesting that just this week, um, <laughs> radio talk show host Glenn Beck, um, he he issued a prediction that by the year 2030, that we will be having a debate over. AI independence. Yeah. And and that you know AI will become the new civil rights slavery fight. Yeah. Um and and that's really what's happening in this movie, right? It's post the rebellion, uh the uprising of of 
replicants and um you know they did away with the program but now it's been revitalized because uh the new company uh uh what was the, oh what was this character's name um jared leto's character um Warl? Was that is that right? Yeah, I guess that's 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 what's really sad because I I can't remember the names of of, of many of the other characters like I can yeah. for the original. Yeah, he Blade he Honor. was great though. He 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 was great too. But, um, you know, and, and now they've they've allowed him to restart the program because he's fixed the, I guess the obedience flaw, in in replicants. So you know, I I think it. There, there's a lot of warning in this movie for us, um, if, if we'll see it. Uh, unfortunately, I think most audiences watching it just think it's kind of a, a weird, futuristic fantasy. But, yeah. you know, for some of us, I can see that as a very real and distinct possible future. I think that it's one of those things, whereas, seriously, I think that you really need to sort of pay attention to what this movie was trying to say, because it makes a very, a very distinct point saying that, okay, you're going to create this life. It, and it, like I had said, it's also um, a retelling of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. If anything, it's an updated version of The Bride of Frankenstein. Whereas, okay, well, we created this this bride, as it were, and she's able to bring forth life. Well, now you have to deal with those consequences. You have to deal with the consequence of creating this being who <laughs> you created this being that is superhuman. Okay, well, what are the consequences of creating a superhero, superhero a super being, or a superhuman who's superior in every way and also has a supercharged sense of, of feelings and emotions and fear and hatred and anger and, and all these other things. It's a supercharged version of us. And well, geez, I mean, that's, that's some scary stuff. What, what do you do with that? And, and these are the repercussions. If you ignore these problems, if you ignore these issues, what's going to happen? And I think yeah, that it yeah. ha- it handled it beautifully. Yeah, it, it was never. I, I don't think it was ever preachy or in your face, but uh, I think that overtone was definitely there and present. So, I, I will say this: um, I know you said it was too long. Um, I had a lot of people tell me that it was. They felt like it was really, really long. Um, but you know what? It it passed the bathroom test for me. I did not want to get up one second. I uh, I was glued to the screen the entire time because I did not want to miss a minute. I, I I was just I was that immersed into the experience. Yeah, I I I I don't know what else to say about the movie other than the fact that I. I really, I really think that you, if you haven't seen the theater yet, I, 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 I legitimately feel bad for people who are not going to be able to experience it like that, uh, the way that we did it. Um, 
So it's- yeah, yeah, me too. Because uh, I, I just, <clears throat> I just don't think it's going to be the same type of experience at, at home. So what what you else know. what else is going on for um in in the realm of diesel punk as it were what else is going on Well you you know we've talked about and and uh, we had some folks post on the diesel punks forum uh, about the video game Cuphead Yeah and and we've talked about it in the past and you know unfortunately it's a, an exclusive only on I think Xbox 1 Yeah um but you know it's it's done in the uh, in the old style animation. Um, what did what did Tome call that animated style? Did, did he call it like a jelly style? I think so. Um, did, did he call it? Oh, see, that's the thing. I wish he was here right now so we can ask him. But it does sort of have that sort of like the um, anime style from the uh, from the eighties and nineties to it. Well, no, no, it's it's um, it, it's intentionally designed to look like, you know, the early Disney or the Max Fleischer Betty Boop cartoons. Um, it, it's kind of got that plastic sheen on it that some of those did. Um, so you know, it's got that very Diesel era animation style. But the soundtrack, the soundtrack is phenomenal. The, the soundtrack is not only one of the best video game soundtracks I've ever, ever heard. It's also a damn fine jazz and swing album. And it's available on iTunes. And I've been listening to it all day long and just am in love with this album. It's 56 songs, Eric. You could put on the soundtrack to Cuphead at a diesel punk party. And and be set all night long because you wouldn't have to worry about changing it once. It, it's phenomenal. Well, guess what I'm doing? Downloading now while we speak because I mean I, I mean I've been flat out. I mean just really sort of running, um, sprinting um, at work. And I've totally sort of like missed out on the conversation about Cuphead until um, this afternoon. And the thing is that it was just like, this is exactly what we've been looking for. This is exactly this is this is this year's Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, whereas you have it's a multimedia event. You have the game, but you also have the soundtrack and and the the visual stills, the art stills for it, is just like this is the kind of stuff that you would like to have hanging in um, on the walls in one of your favorite rooms of the house. Um, maybe not the bedroom or the bathroom, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. In your in your media room, in your entertainment room, or your office for sure. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful game, and um, it is. It is a game that, um, you know, if you, if you watch some of the uh, documentaries about the making of it, it is all animated by hand. Um, that's one of the wonderful things about it. They, they did the, what, you know, the Don Bluth studio did with, if you remember, Dragon's Lair and yes. Space Ace. Yes. But 
but they were able to take that hand-drawn animation and put it into the digital mapping so that you can control it. It's really an astounding project. And it's a, you know, it's not quite a 3D uh, side scroller. It's, it's kind of a 2D side scroller, but with multiple planes. So it's not just side to side. It does move up and down. Yeah. And it's really, really pretty phenomenal what they've done. And, you know, I wish we still had our Xbox. My, my son sold his. What? Um, yeah, yeah. He wanted, he wanted to get the Switch. So he sold his Xbox. We only had two games on it anyway. So, right. Um, but uh, you know, I, I wish it were available for the PlayStation or the Switch because this, this is one I might play. Yeah. But uh, the soundtrack alone is phenomenal. Now it's it's not cheap. Uh, it's fifty six songs. It's twenty bucks on iTunes. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, we're, I mean, come on, 56 songs. It's basically a two, two album set is yeah. what it is. Well, wait, wait. It's actually, because the thing is, if you bought it on vinyl, they actually have it on vinyl in the traditional 1930s style with the albums. I mean, when you say it's an album, it's an actual, like a photo album with, with the discs, the vinyl discs inside exactly just like what your grandmother used to listen to um and i'm looking at it and and it's at least it's 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 four albums it's four records yeah i mean yeah and i'm like oh okay so of course now the thing is is that that's one of the things that's like you have to buy you have to buy this now and I think that what's probably going to happen is that I'll probably buy the game and I'll buy and I'll, I'll I'll buy the album, but I'll probably like listen to the album while I'm playing some of my other games like Diablo. Yeah, it and you know it just I've I've had the soundtrack on all day. It's like the soundtrack of my life. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. It's fantastic. So I highly recommend it. Um, and. Unbelievable, Eric. We've already been doing this a little over an hour now. Yeah. Um, but I've got to tell our listeners, I, I've got to mention that 2017 has really been a phenomenal year for diesel punk movie. Yes. Um, you know, we started the year, and I can't believe it's only still just been 2017 yeah. that Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them came out. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of this year, we, we kicked it off with Fantastic Beasts. We followed it up with Wonder Woman. There was actually a really, really good gangster film uh, that came out uh, this year with Ben Affleck, Live by Night. Yeah. Um, that nobody's really talked about, but uh, it was really pretty, pretty outstanding. And, you know, we've had the follow up to Blade Runner, um, Murder on the Orient Express, and next Friday, my birthday, December first, is maybe what I am. I'm going to call it right now, Eric. Okay. The film that is going to become the new diesel punk movie standard, and that is Del Toro's *The Shape of Water*. I think you're absolutely, totally right. I think that this is this is. Um it's going to be everything that Sky Captain the World of 
of Tomorrow should have been. And don't get me wrong, I loved Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. I think it was a great, it's a great idea and a great execution of a movie, except it, it had some, some major holes missing in it. Um, and the shape of water looks like it's going to fill all the holes and all the gaps that Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow missed out on and didn't fill. It, it, it just it, and it just looks beautiful. It looks haunting. Um, it looks like a dream or um, a very mild nightmare. And it does. It, it, it's sort of like um, uh, it looks like a tribute to the original um, Ray Harryhausen movie. It looks exactly like the kind of movie that he would have made if he if he had access to modern movie making technology. And I think that that's the exciting thing is that people are actually now we've we've sort of gotten like the Star Wars prequels out of the way. And we got some of the other stuff out of the way. We got the Scorpion King out of the way. Um, all those other cheesy um, sci fi movies out of the way. Um, and, um, now we're able to actually put those tools to work in making really beautiful movies the way digital technology should be used. And it's not even all digital technology, but it's using other, other aspects of movie making, um, technology that I, I think that people have sort of like neglected or abused. Well, one of the things I love about Del, Del Toro's filmmaking is that he uses, mostly practical effects. He uses very little CGI or, you know, computer-generated effects. Um, And he only does it when it's absolutely the only way it can be done. And and you see that in movies like Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth and Pacific Rim. The first Pacific Rim, Eric, several of those robots are real they built them in a sound studio and and the actors and actresses are actually in those machines um you know and they they use models and and miniatures and stop motion and you know that's what i really love about del toro's filmmaking is it's it's tangible you can you can touch it and um Shape of Water, man. I, I'm I'm calling it right now. I think this is going to be a Diesel Punk's wet dream, um, and I I really really hope people go support this movie because it's is really not getting the fanfare and the press no. commercially that you know a movie should be getting. Um, so it's it's going to be up to uh, us to kind of spread the word about it, but. Uh, that's what I'm doing for my birthday. Yeah. I'm taking off work and I'm going to see The Shape of Water. And uh, I really, really can't wait. Um, and one of the great things about it is it's not set in the diesel era. No. It's actually post diesel. It's like in the 1960s. Yeah. But when you look at all of the visual aesthetics, it is all that 30s and 40s Art Deco military styled yeah. art deco yeah um you know secret government ops from world war ii yeah is 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 the feeling that you get from this and um i love that idea of the the diesel punk out of the diesel era aesthetics and um 
you know, so much of the conversation online recently has been, you know, when it's set. And I keep saying it doesn't matter what year it's set. As long as it has the, 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 the aesthetics that we're looking for and the elements that we're looking for, it doesn't matter if it's set in 1960, 1939, 19, you know, 20, 2049. It doesn't matter. And uh, this is one of those examples that I think we're going to be able to point to and say, look, see, the, the actual year of the movie's setting yeah. is not as important as the elements of aesthetics and the science fiction fantasy um, counterculturalism, the retrofuturism, if you will. Well, here's the thing, and I think this is a very important thing um, uh, to look at and recognize here. Looking at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 98% um, tomato meter rating, meaning 98% of the people who saw this movie and reviewed it gave it a positive review. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a feeling this might be Del Toro's true masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, I, I know most people consider that to be Pan's Labyrinth, but, you know, just looking at this from a, a human story element, a visual aesthetic element, yeah. and just knowing his, the, the way he is as a, a craftsman, I I just got a really good feeling about this movie. I I think that it's going to be one of those movies where it's like um, people are going to walk out of the movie theater and say, what kind of style is that again? And I I think that we're going to start seeing our membership um, uh, numbers go through the roof when people say, oh, wait, hey, this is this is this is diesel punk. Oh, I want more of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to that, Eric, I would say to our listeners, use this movie as an opportunity to have an event. Yeah. Get a group of people together, dress in your finest retro wear, uh, your vintage style, and go see it as a group. And, um, you know, ha- have fun with it. Because, you know, the roots of the story, Creature from the Black Lagoon, is, is Diesel Era. So, you know, it's got that influence already and, you know, that that what if alternate history kind of sensibility to it. And, um, yeah, what a great opportunity for for us to have, you know, friends join us and make it an outing. I think that another thing that uh, would be interesting um, uh, for the next the next show that we do, and, and if you feel like recording on Tuesday with the with the rest of the gang, um, I think that I, it may be early. We still have December, but I would like to do kind of like a um, an end of the year um, retrospective on uh, the year in diesel punk. What was really great about this year in the realm of diesel punk? And w- what do people think? I mean, was um, what were what were the best diesel punk style movies of the year? Um, and if uh, the Shape of Water doesn't do, doesn't do as well as I th- I think it's going to be a phenomenal hit. But I think that um, the number one diesel punk movie for this year I think it's it's going to be Wonder Woman. Well, yeah, in, in terms of box office and commercial success, yes, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. 
Now, if if any of our listeners are into really, um, really questionable movies in terms of quality, um, <laughs> I just saw a movie that I was super excited for, I, I, and for like the last year or two, the the trailers have been showing on YouTube, and it finally hit Netflix or Redbox rather. I got it on Redbox and was super excited about it. It's a Russian superhero movie called The Guardians. And it was basically kind of billed as, you know, the Russian Avengers. And um, trailer was great. Trailer was great. The movie itself is not really so great. Um, it's actually pretty bad. Yeah. But, but the whole film revolves around this program that started during the the height of the World War II in Russia to develop their Russian super soldier program. So all of the aesthetics, all of the military bases, you know, the secret labs all have this awesome, you know, Art Deco metropolis style uh, industrial look to them. It's pretty visually. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's a fun movie to watch, but um, the, the, you know, it's in Russian, and they they overdubbed it for American release. And, you know, when you try to translate a foreign language, it never really comes across the right way. And, um, yeah, that's a big problem with this movie. But, um, you know, some folks out there might love watching bad B movies, and yeah. uh, that's definitely one of them. Oh, hey. <laughs> Hey, check this out, because the thing is, is like, I just did a, a search for Guardians, the Guardians, and it says, yeah, Peter Quill and his fellow Guardians are hired by a powerful alien race, a sovereign, <laughs> to protect the precious batteries from invaders. When it discovered that Rocket has stolen the items they were sent to guard, the sovereign dispatches their armada to search for vengeance. As the Guardians try to escape, the mystery of Peter Qu Peter's parentage is revealed. <laughs> I think I think that they mixed up two movies here on Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. They did. But um, anyway. Yeah. It it's definitely got a very diesel era aesthetic to it and uh, that makes it fun, but uh yeah, you know, commercial success Wonder Woman, but I think pure diesel punk I got to go with Shape of Water. Yeah. Even though we haven't seen it yet, it looks like it's going to be the Diesel Punk movie of the year. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just really quickly, the biggest disappointing blockbuster movie that you've saw that you've seen this year in the theater. Ugh, I've seen a lot of them. Yeah. Um, I've been disappointed by a lot of movies. Um, the biggest disappointment was Dark Tower. Yes. Yeah, a lot of people have said that as well. That movie should have been a home run hit out of the park with the cast and the, the pedigree that that movie had. And it was a jumbled, unwatchable mess. Yeah. Um, Justice League lived up to the fears. Um, it, it didn't totally suck, but it just wasn't good either. It, um, it just uh, is just kind of there. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like I said 
earlier in the show, the best movie I've seen this year was Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, just pure popcorn enjoyment movie. That that was it. Um, the best film I've seen is Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Now, I haven't seen Murder on the Orient Express yet. I see that tomorrow night. So I'm, uh, I'm excited about that. I think the final question that I have um, to wrap this up, and we, and we should do this again, like really, really sort of soon. Um, um, did Clark Kent's mustache um, ruin <laughs> Justice League? <laughs> well, it definitely ruined the very opening scene. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why they insisted on keeping that in it looked so bad i i would have cut that because it didn't add anything to the story at all so i would have cut that um if if he had it for any of the other reshoots it wasn't noticeable but the first scene man it was just it was bad yeah really bad it's, I think that the mustache is going to win. It's uh, win a Razzie. That's that seems to be absolutely totally sure. So, um, and and one more thing before before I wrap this up, um, what do you think is going to be the big gift item for Diesel Punks this Christmas season? Oh wow, that's a good question. My wife actually asked this question, not specifically. Um, not directly. She didn't say what's the big gift for Diesel Bunks this Christmas season, but uh, in a roundabout way, she had uh, had asked, "What are what are all the Diesel Punk men asking for this Christmas?" Well, you know, I'll tell you what I want, and and this might, you know, kind of play into that. With the resurgence of vinyl, I really want a an antique styled Crosley record player. Um, I would love to play vinyl in the house. Yeah. Um, either that or one of those, uh, 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 one of those vacuum tube clocks. What do they call those? Um, you know what I'm talking about? I do. I'm looking it up right now. With, with the neon tubes. But, you know, I, I'm kind of at this age, Eric, and, and you might be able to, relate you know i i really can't think of anything that i really need yeah i i think that's that, a good question we need to we need to post that question out on facebook i think that that's going to be the question go to facebook and just do a quick search um for diesel punks diesel punks with an s at the end and you'll find us uh, join the group and then you know answer the question and um we're going we're going to have it uh we're going to have that question and a few more um on our group page but i I think that that uh we already have one sticky so but if we could have two that would be the other one the pinned question what what do diesel punks want for christmas i'll tell you what i want i want junk mail to stop coming into my house just no more clutter coming into the house (gasps) That's good. That's a good one. Yeah. Yep. 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 So any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No. Um, you know, I, I want to thank our, our listeners for being a little bit patient. You know, I've been a little bit missing in action over the last couple of weeks. We've been moving. We, we sold our house and uh, 
we had to close on the house. We had to move the house. Um, and then in the middle of all of that, my my precious little chihuahua diva escaped from my dad's watchful eye and uh, was missing for three days. We were scouring the the area for her. We did find her. But so, you know, in the midst of all of that, packing, moving, closing, finding the dog, I've just not been able to, to connect with Eric. And uh, so we, uh, we've kind of fallen a little bit behind, but uh, we appreciate you guys for being patient and we will do our best not to let it happen again. Exactly. And on top of that, we also we have a, a backlog of topics to talk about for upcoming podcasts. So we may actually catch up. And um, we will probably average one podcast a week before the end of 2017. Yeah, that'll be great. And uh, yeah, we'll pick it up again on Tuesday. Absolutely. with Maybe with the entire gang and some special guests. That would be fantastic. It would be. All right. Um, John, um, uh, give, us, give, us your, uh, give us your going away. Give us your, your sign off and, and uh, we'll call it a podcast. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> On behalf of Eric Fisk and the Fedora Chronicles and the Diesel Punk Podcast, swing hard, swing often. We'll catch you on the flip side. See you soon, folks. Thanks, John. This has been the Fedora Chronicles radio show and a co-production of the Diesel Punk Podcast. You can find out more about us by going to our websites, thefedorachronicles.com and dieselpunks.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. You can find these links on our homepages. Be sure to visit our sponsors, Chester Cordite, Landron Artifacts, and the Trinity Whip Company. Also, check out the friends of our show, Penman Hats and Reconstructing History. Once again, this is Eric Render King Fisk, signing off, and keep your chins up and your fedoras on.